Well, good morning. So glad that you're here today. And uh, last night we had a wonderful lady Christmas dinner. And uh, we just had a great turnout of ladies. About 100, almost 100 ladies were here last night. And uh, Karen, of course, Karen spoke last night. Did a great job. And, and uh, we're just uh, thankful for all who came last night, were involved with it. If you missed it last night, you missed it. So next year, so next year, next year, um, we're going to do this. I hope you'll be a part of it. And if that's anybody that went last night, they'll tell you that it was a, a great, great event last night. And, um, and some of you, this is your first time with us. Thank you for being here. My name is Pastor Scott, and I'm the lead pastor here. And uh, what, what, you know, honored that you're here to worship with us. And uh, as you came in, you should have received a program. And you, we should ask you to take a minute. Put out the connection card that's inside the program. Let us know about your visit with us this morning. And uh, real quickly, we've got Karen. Again, Karen, three sisters flew up here, all three of her sisters. And uh, so I've been invaded in my house. And, um, but we've had a good weekend. And I know Karen's been blessed to have her sisters all the way up here from sunny Florida. There we go. So... Um, you can thank them for the nice warm day that we're having today, and um, it's warm for us, okay? Um, but today we're going to begin a brand new message series called Christmas Unwrap, you know? And I'm sure many of you are shopping, looking for presents, getting the Christmas gift. How many of you are you been shopping? Raise your hand. We got some. You have been in the in the season of, not love, but the season of shove, all right? You've been shoving, just trying to get through, and I just went to the store yesterday just to get something, and I felt like I was being shoving all over the place, and, um, but I want to kick off, kick off the Christmas season by showing you a really quick video, and I think most of us are parents in this room you could probably relate. This is a, a little bit of a clip um, that is shown as a prank, you know, by Jimmy Kimmel and tells parents to, hey, you know, videotape you giving your kids a really bad present, you know, and do it like a few days before Christmas, a special gift a few days before Christmas. And uh, you can see this video real quick. Yeah, I know you how much you like soup. No. No. What is this? It's a sponge. I want a car. A car, yeah. Maybe on Christmas Day Santa will bring you a car. <laughs> oh, what's the matter? Don't you like broccoli? You wanted, Sean? You gave it to 
man, I love that kid. <laughs> Mr. Potato Head. And um, uh, so, yeah, uh, by show of hand, how many parents can relate? You, you experienced that with your kids. All right, some of you got your hands up. And uh, we all know what it's like, even as adults, to be disappointed by the present that comes our way in life. You know, we may not show our disappointment. We're very good at disguising it sometimes, but we're disappointed. You wanted a toy, but you didn't get what you wanted. For example, if you're married and you told your husband you wanted boot, you told him the right kind of boot, you showed him the size of the boot, you told him the color of the boots and everything, and come Christmas morning, you get the present and you, it looks like the size of a shoebox, it feels right, it looks right, and then you open it, and it's not the boot you wanted, it's like Nutrisystem or something like that. And it's totally meh. You totally meh what you wanted. You were disappointed. You didn't get what you wanted. Or maybe you guys, you know, you wanted, maybe you wanted an iPhone, all right, or something like that, you know, real cool. And you get the present under the box, under the tree, and you see a present, it looks like the shape of an iPhone box. It feels like the weight of the iPhone box, and... You open it, and it's nose hair clippers, you know? The bully gets those hairs where hairs have never gone before. You know, that's what it is. And you wanted a toy, it's not what you wanted. Sometimes you get what you need, not what you want. I want to get started by reading Romans chapter 15 this morning. Romans chapter 15, and verse number 13. The Bible says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow, overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. You notice that phrase, you may overflow with hope. And my guess is, if some of you were to be honest with us this morning, is that you're not exactly overflowing with hope. You know, this year did not exactly pan out the way you had hoped it to be. The, 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 you're just hoping for Christmas 2018. You're not even looking forward to it. In fact, you're just waiting to get through the rest of this year, and you can't wait for 2019 to get started. You're disappointed by the present that comes your way. You may be disguising it very well, but nevertheless, you're disappointed. It looked like the beginning of 2018, perhaps it looked very promising. You thought, man, this is going to be great. You started opening up the present, and it's looking good on the outside. And uh, who wrapped this present? Thank you, Ruth. I get it. I got to practice my gift opening. This is a, there we go. And it looked good from the outside. It looked promising. 
And then you open the box. And instead of what you had hoped to get, get brokenness, disappointment, pain, confusion. It's not the present you wanted. And you're not exactly overflowing with hope when you get a gift like that. And some of you, this is your year. This is, this is the way you look at your year in 2018. It's been broken. You wanted a toy, but you didn't get what you wanted. Some of you were hoping that this would be the Christmas, that you would have a child around your Christmas celebration, but infertility, or maybe the adoption fell through, or, or maybe a miscarriage had left a hole in your heart, and no one seems to understand. It's not what you wanted. Maybe the Christmas you have an empty chair around the table. You buried a loved one this past year. This Christmas you're going to miss their love. You're going to miss their laughs. You're going to miss their presence at the table. Not what you wanted. Not the gift you wanted. Some of you are newlyweds, or maybe you're oldlyweds, okay? You've been married for a while. You thought you were supposed to have a perfect marriage, and it could be a great marriage. We're supposed to be one of those uh, Disney story, you know, Disney fairy tale weddings where you live happily ever after, and you got married, and the confusion Disappointment. It's not what you wanted. Maybe Christmas is a tense time because it means dealing with relatives that perhaps there's unresolved conflicts. You know, maybe you're dealing with a ex-spouse, child custody issues. Or maybe you have a ex-spouse, you know, spouse that's now raising your kids. And it's not what you wanted. It's not what you dream. Maybe after the service, you're going to walk out to your car alone. And you're going to see couples walking together. Some might be holding their hands. And it hurts. Because you're alone. And you're lonely. You had hoped that by this time in your life, you would have a relationship a deeper relationship, and did it pan out the way you had hoped. You wanted a toy, I wanted a toy, and it didn't turn out that way. And so today, I want to unpack, or should I say unwrap, all right? I want to unwrap a book, a very unusual book of the Bible that I don't know that you probably ever heard it story being used for Christmas. First, it's unusual because it's in the Old Testament of the Bible. And number two, at first, this story is just about a family that appears to have no importance at all, no significance to, you know, to, the, to, the, 
to the Christmas story. And so you say, man, why is this here? Why are we going to talk about this story? Why will we begin the Christmas series, a Christmas season, studying a little Old Testament book, and that book is called Ruth. Ruth. And if you have a Bible, you're going to want to follow along as you turn to the book of Ruth. If you don't have it, we have, um, uh, of course, we'll have the, the verses on the screen or on your handout. We also have, um, if you go to YouVersion, if you have the YouVersion app, you know, YouVersion, Y-O-U, like YouVersion, um, or YouVersion.com, you can go to live event, and you can find late point church, and you can see the sermon notes and everything. Really cool uh, little feature that we have here. And you can follow along through that app. And, uh, but we're going to look at the book of Ruth. And as we begin looking at the story of Ruth, we'll, we'll see that Ruth is set up before the kings, before King David, before King Saul. This is set up during the time of the judges. And also during the time of the very severe famine in the land. And I want to look at Ruth chapter 1. And verse number one, as we look at the story and how we're going to unpack this or unwrap this story and see how this connects to Christmas this morning. The Bible says in verse one, in the days when the judges ruled in Israel, a severe famine came upon the land. So a man from Bethlehem in Judah left his home and went to live in the country of Moab, taking his wife and two sons with him. Verse number two, the man's name was Elimelech. Elimelech. Now, by the way, if you want to take note, Elimelech means my God is king. So take a note, my God is king. And then he exactly live up to his name, though, because instead of trusting the one living God to supply the food in the promised land, he's actually leaving the promised land to go into a foreign culture, into a pagan culture, for their own food supply and their own food source. So they're not even trusting God at this point. My God is king, it's Elimelech. And we go back to verse number two. And his wife was Naomi. Now if you're taking note, Naomi means pleasant and sweet. That's a nice name. Pleasant and sweet. She sounds like the person I want to hang out with. This is sounds like a person that you want to connect with. She's pleasant. She's sweet. And then back in verse number two, they had two sons. Sons named Malon and Kilion. Malon and Kilion. Now they had bizarro names. Their name literally means sick and dying. Sick and dying. So Malon would be sick, and Kilion means dying. Now, if you have a couple boys, don't name your boys these names. You know, hey, I want to introduce to you my boys. This is, this is walking pneumonia, and this is bird flu over here. Bad idea. But that's how they named these kids. Dying, sick and dying. Terrible names. And as the story unfolds, these two boys, these two Israelite men, grew up in Moab. They fell in love with a Moabite woman. And they both married two Moabite women in a foreign land, in a pagan culture, 
They were not believers in the God of Israel. But by the time we get to the second paragraph of Ruth chapter 1, tragedy strikes. First of all, Amalek dies. We don't know how he dies. You know, maybe an old age. Maybe he had a heart attack. Maybe he got hit by a camel. We don't know. All right? But he dies. And then shortly after, unbelievably, Malon and Kilian, sick and dying, they die. No big surprise there, okay? And so they're all dead. And so now we've got three widows all sharing a box of cleanup. And all of a sudden, this is a terrible time. They're all grieving. This was not the present that they had hoped for. This was not the gift that they wanted. This was not how it was supposed to pan out in their lives. And so all these women, they were battling, battling what some battles this holiday season, and that's loneliness. And so Naomi decides after the death of her husband that the best thing for her to do was to pack up and to go back to her homeland. To go back. There was no welfare system in Moab. And so he felt, she felt like, you know what, I'm better off going back to my homeland to be around family. You know, there's a better welfare system for us if I go back to the place I grew up in. And so he started packing her bags. She started packing up the U-Haul. And the two Moabite girls, they said, we want to come with you. And so they start to go with Naomi, and about halfway back to her homeland, Naomi stops, who turns around and says, listen, you don't need the baggage of a mother-in-law. Y'all need to let go. Go back, find yourself a new man in your culture, and back in Moab, find a Moabite man, and Mary, your life is still young. You still have a whole life ahead of you. You know, don't worry about me. And one of the, the daughter-in-law named Orpah, not Oprah, okay, Orpah, all right? And Orpah takes up on that offer and says, okay, it was nice knowing you. I love you. I'm going back to my homeland. So she goes back. But the other person, the other daughter-in-law, her name was Ruth. And Ruth made the statement, statement to her to Naomi, if you look at verse cap, chapter 1, verse 16 and 17, but Ruth replied to Naomi, Don't ask me to leave you and turn back. Wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people, and your God will be my God. Wherever you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord punish me, punish me severely if I allow anything but death to separate us. So Naomi's not arguing. It's okay. Let's just, we'll keep moving. And so Ruth and Naomi continued their journey to Naomi's hometown back in Bethlehem. Now, there's less than 200 people that live in Bethlehem. That's why we sing, O Little Town of Bethlehem. It's a very small, very tiny little town. And when Naomi returns to town, it's big news. 
I mean, she'd been gone for a while. All right? They left when they had little kids. They all grown up, and they got married, and then they died, of course. So it's been a while since she'd been back to Bethlehem. And, and so it's big news. Hey, is that Naomi? Is, is she back? Is she, is she with her? And so the big talk, the big news, and, and if you remember, Naomi naming pleasant and sweet. But Naomi said this to them, don't call me that anymore. Don't call me Naomi. My life has been bitter. Notice what she said, verse number 20. Don't call me pleasant and sweet. Don't call me Naomi. Instead, call me Mara. Now, I don't have this on your notes, but if you want to write on the, on the side of your note, Mara means bitter. It means bitter. It said, for the Almighty had made life very bitter for me. I went away full. I went away expecting great things to happen. I expected to get something. I went away full, and I came back empty. I didn't get what I wanted. I, told, I totally missed what I wanted to get. I came back empty. Why call me pleasant and sweet when the Lord had caused me to suffer and the Almighty had sent tragedy upon me? And Naomi here is having an identity crisis. Don't call me Naomi. I'm not pleasant and sweet no more. I'm bitter. Call me Mara. Call me Mara. And she's angry. She's upset. She's mad at God. He's not held up his end of the deal. God, I wanted a toy. This is not what I wanted. This is not what I wanted. And so far in this story, Naomi's story has just basically been a story about loss. She lost her husband. She lost her two sons. She lost her home. She lost her land. This story is just not a very encouraging story. Not a great story so far. But we're going to find out in the story that's not about loss. That Ruth and Naomi's story is about redemption. And so once Ruth and Naomi, they arrived to Bethlehem, you know, they, they're trying to get back to their feet underground, trying to build some roots. They have no money. Now, they had land, but because they owed money, there was actually a lien on their property. All right? And so the way it worked back then is that if you die owing money, then that land goes away to the people that you owe money to. All right? and, and, and this was this was devastating to that culture. You try to keep your land, you try to keep it into the family. That's the idea about that. That's how you survive. You don't want to lose land. You know, land is, land is, uh, gives you potential. Land gives you position. Land makes you prestigious sometimes. And so it's important to keep land. And so she has land, but they owe money. And so the, here they are. They're just trying to make ends meet. I, the, you know, they're just struggling to make by. And, and so Naomi, she's getting older, and she said, Ruth, you know, why don't you go out to the fields and, and, and pick up leftover grains 
because it's harvest time. Now, there is a law during this time. It's actually a welfare law that if you were poor, you were allowed to go into a field after the farmers and his, you know, his group of farmers, you know, collect the wheat and, or collect the harvest, that whatever is left over, that the poor people can actually scrape up the leftovers. And that was the law. In, in fact, they, they told farmers, make sure you don't collect everything. Leave some behind. Let, don't worry about picking it all up. Leave it behind and let the poor people in the community come by into the farm and let them, let them clean up. All right? And that, it's not a very glamorous job. That would be like today, someone making a living collecting pop cans on the side of the road all day. All right? It's not very fancy. It's not a great job. But you got to give Ruth some credit because she's willing to do something, and this was a start. And so she's out here working, and of all the fields that she could have picked, she picked this one field. One field. I want you to look here in Ruth chapter 2 and verse number 3. So Ruth went out to gather grain behind the harvesters, okay? She's just doing her job, part of the welfare system. And as it happened, should underline that, as it happened, in other words, God's providence, the providence and the sovereignty of God was in this whole situation. God was not finished with Naomi and Ruth. God was not done. They hadn't quite looked deeper inside the box. They hadn't quite gone past the brokenness. As it happened, look at this. Of all the fields that she could have been in, she found herself working in a field that belonged to Boaz. Now, who is Boaz? Here it is. The relative of her father-in-law, Elimelech. Ruth had no idea that she was farming and harvesting in the field of her own family. Now, Boaz, he's a wealthy single guy. He owns a company called Boaz Business Enterprise. I mean, he's got it all going on here. The good old Bo started to notice Ruth. Started asking questions about Ruth. In fact, he goes to Ruth and says, you know what? I'm gonna, I want to stop picking up the leftovers. I want you to have some of the good stuff here. And started blessing her with good food, not the leftovers. Now, Ruth, at first, She's oblivious to the whole thing. She said, oh, man, what a nice guy. And she goes home to Naomi with a wonderful sack of food. And Naomi said, whoa, 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 what is going on? And she becomes the meddling mother-in-law. She kind of meddles, and what's going on? And she said, oh, I met this guy named Boaz. Now, Naomi knows who Boaz is. Oh, you found yourself in Boaz's field. Well, tell me about Boaz. Tell me what's going on here. He said, I don't know, but he, he really, he take care of me. He wants to help me. 
you know, and this is very unusual during the custom of this time. I mean, you know, she was pretty much in a different uh, pay scale, you know, a different, you know, uh, a level of society where Boaz is pretty wealthy, you know, and you, it's just very uncommon for wealthy to, to have a conversation with people that were, that were poor. And, but here Boaz is treating her very special, and Naomi sees, ha, 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 I see something going on here, and this goes on for six to eight weeks, because if it's the barley harvest season, and that's how long it would take for the harvest time to happen. And they kept going, 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 and so after a certain point, the harvest season is coming to an end, and Naomi transferred from becoming a meddling mother-in-law to becoming a matchmaker mother-in-law. Now she can play Cupid. And she said, hey, Ruth, what do you think of Boaz? Oh, he's really, really, really nice. I really, really, really like him. And so, oh, yeah. You know what? I know something about Boaz. And I think he got a special eye for you, Ruth. And so he gives Ruth, Naomi gives Ruth an idea. And says, here's what I want you to do tonight. I want you to go to where Boaz is working. Boaz and his men will be sleeping in the barn. All right, it was that time where they, you know, when they did the harvest, they would collect the grain, they would collect the chaff and all that stuff, and they would go to the threshing floor. And the threshing floor was an area where the wind would pick up the chaff and separate the grain. And it's an all-night process, and so what happens is, is the Boaz and a couple men, they would sleep by the threshing floor to protect and to make sure no thieves comes in because when the grain is separated, you know, that's the good picking right there. And so they're staying right there, and she said, you know, Naomi said, that's where Boaz is going to be tonight. Now, while he's sleeping, and so, oh, by the way, he said, now, he said, Ruth, I want you to get cleaned up. You're filthy. Get cleaned up. Put on some new outfit. Put some perfume on. I mean, best foot forward here, all right? And I want you to go to, in a, at night, while Boaz is sleeping, and I want you to lay down at the feet of Boaz. Now, some of you, I know what you're thinking. Listen, Naomi, naughty, naughty, what is going on here? This is terrible, and this is not what you think it is, okay? This is not going there. All right? In this time, this was a way for the young lady to propose to a man and say, hey, I am available. I am willing to be your wife. This was the way to, they proposed. Right? And so, sure enough, that night, in the middle of the night, we pick up the story in Ruth chapter 3, verse number 8. Around midnight, Boaz suddenly woke up and he turned over. He was surprised to find a woman lying at his feet. Who are you? You know, it's dark, and he's trying to get the sleep out of his eyes. What was going on here? All right? He said, who are you? And she said, I am your servant, Ruth. Spread the corner of your covering over me. The word covering 
it can be often translated as the word wing. It to cover me with the wing of your protection. That's the picture. Cover me with the wings of your protection over me. For you are my family redeemer. The Lord bless you, my daughter, Boaz exclaimed. You are showing even more family loyalty now that you did before, for you have not gone after a younger man, whether rich or poor. Now don't worry about a thing. I will do what is necessary, for everyone in town knows that you are a virtuous woman. Now Boaz is what called throughout the book of Ruth, you're taking note, one of two things, the guardian redeemer or the kinsman redeemer. You've heard both, the kinsman redeemer or the guardian redeemer. Now let me explain this real quick. Remember I talk about Naomi. They have land, but they don't really own the land because they owe money to someone. And so that person actually has a lien on their land. And so they're in a precarious situation. And, and so a, a, a guardian redeemer was a law in this time period when a man fell into hard times and he was forced to sell the land. His nearest relative, the guardian redeemer or the kinsman redeemer, could step in and buy that land before anybody else can. And he could keep the relative property from coming under the ownership of another tribe or another man. And that seems weird to us, but that's how it works in this time period. So Boaz comes along and says, I will take the property of Elimelech. I will pay off the debt so that this can stay within the family's name. And then I will also take responsibility of Ruth. And I will marry Ruth. And I will help Ruth. And we will carry the family line by having a child. And you need to understand, this is no small act of, of kindness and sacrifice here. This is a big deal. This is a big deal, especially when you consider that Ruth is not Israelite. Ruth is Moab. She's a Moabite. She's a foreigner from a pagan culture. No man in this culture would even consider a woman like Ruth. But Boaz says, I will love who no one else will love. I will care who no one else will care. I will redeem who no one else will redeem. Boaz falls for Ruth. He makes a plan to redeem Ruth at the guardian redeemer. We go to the last chapter in the book of Ruth. The story's getting better now. We get a little bit deeper into the story. At first, it seemed broken. But God started to bring things together. Ruth chapter 4, verse 13. Boaz took Ruth into his home. She became his wife. When he slept with her, the Lord enabled her to become pregnant. And she gave birth to a son. This is an amazing story. This is an amazing man. I mean, he had no legal obligation to do this. Boaz. Just pure grace. Pure grace. Ruth didn't deserve it. Ruth deserved to be 
you know, chipped out, taken away. But Boaz, pure grace. What did he get in the deal? He got an awesome woman. Just FYI, just for your information, what was Boaz's life before he met Ruth? Was ruthless. Come on. That was good, right? All right. Woo! It took you a minute. But some of you, that's the only thing you'll remember today, all right? That's good. I've got a sister-in-law named Ruth up here. She's not going to hear the end of it from me today. Boaz comes along and says, I will buy the property. I will take the responsibility. And he goes out of his way to redeem this foreign woman. As it turns out, some of you may even know who Boaz's mother is. And this is where the story gets really interesting. Boaz's mother was named Rahab. How many of you know who Rahab is? All right. Rahab was a prostitute in the city of Jericho. And when the Israelites came in to take over the promised land, Rahab housed and took care of the two spies that snuck into Jericho. And Rahab said, hey, I hear about your God. I hear about what he can do when he comes to take down Jericho and destroy the city. Just remember my name, Rahab, and please protect me and my family. And the two spies said, done deal. You took care of us, you hid us, we will take care of you. And Boaz is a product of Rahab. Rahab was rescued. He was part of a pagan culture in a, a foreigner. But God took her into her family, the Israelite, and she learned who the God, the one and true God was. And she saw grace. She saw mercy because she didn't deserve any. This streetwalker, this prostitute, gave us Boaz. And I think that gives us an insight about Boaz. That's why Boaz and say, hey, I know where you come from because my mom came from that direction. And because of you, Ruth, because you're not exactly the way everyone might think it is, you may not be the perfect Israelite woman, that's all right. I'm going to offer grace because people offer my mama grace. And I'm here because of the grace of God. Think about this story for a moment. It's like a Christmas present. It was open. It looked nice on the outside. You know, the two and a half kids in the house with the white picket fence. It looked great. But as you get deeper into the story, things begin to fall apart. And everything went bad for Ruth and Naomi. Over time, as they got deeper and deeper in the box, they began to see hope. Hope. Well, that's the title of the message today, Hope. That's the first time I'm talking about it. This whole story has been about a hopeless situation, but a hope happens, and hope came. And some of you today, you're just thinking about how you're just going to get through Christmas. You're just thinking about how I'm going to get through the rest of this year. 
You know, you got the right size, you got the right weight of the present, you shake it, and you decide to open it up, and it's not the toy you wanted. You had hoped for something else, and it didn't happen. You thought, man, this is it, this is perfect, and it wasn't what you expected to be. You saw addiction. Maybe you opened up cancer. Maybe you or someone in your family, or perhaps financial. Maybe, maybe you opened up, and it, you thought it was going to be great, and you open it, and you pull out divorce. You pull out singleness and loneliness. You pull out loss, death. I mean, you open up and say, oh, man, it's great. And you open up and you pull out, you pull out pain, unemployment, abuse, infertility. You said, this is not what I wanted, God. This is not what I wanted. This is what I, it's not what I had hoped for. And before Naomi and Ruth gave up, before Ruth and Naomi gave up, they had to keep looking deeper in the box. They have to keep looking deeper. And Ruth had his son. And because of the guardian redeemer, Naomi had a grandson. And that grandson brought future for them that they'll never believe, that they'll never imagine. The last picture we have of Naomi in the book of Ruth is she's holding and caring for her new grandson. Look at Ruth, 4, Ruth chapter 4, verse 17. Now at last, Naomi, notice this, Naomi is back to pleasant and sweet. She's not Mara. She's not bitter. She said, at last, Naomi had your son again. And the music began to flow back into her life again. Hope is beginning to spring anew. And they named the grandson. Obed. He became the father of Jesse and the grandfather of David. Naomi's great-great-grandson is King David. Ruth's great-grandson is King David. You can't get what you want, but sometimes you find exactly what you need. And here's where it all comes together. If you look at Matthew chapter 1, stay with me here for just a minute. We get to the New Testament of the Bible. We get to the beginning of the Christmas story in Matthew chapter 1. We see the family tree of Jesus Christ. And if you look here, you see all these names. Look here, Matthew chapter 1, verse 5. Salmon was the father of Boaz, whose mother was the prostitute, Rahab. And Boaz was the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed was the father of Jesse. Jesse was the father of King David. And way down inside the box, where Naomi and Ruth couldn't even see, they couldn't even see there. But years and years and years later, there would be a little boy named Jesus who would become the ultimate kinsman redeemer. Not just for one person like Boaz would to Ruth, but he would be the kinsman redeemer for all of mankind, I will love who no one else will love. I will care for who no one else will care for. And I will buy back, I will redeem who no one else will redeem. 
Jesus came to give us abiding hope. I've got one more present, one more gift to unwrap. That's right, I got the newspaper gift. Not very pretty, is it? Kind of boring. This is the kind of gift I'd be like, eh, I'm not sure I want to open this one. This is the kind of gift that just seems forgotten. And I think about a Savior who was born 2,000 years ago in a lowly manger. There was no parade. There was no royal proclamation. There was no, there was no palace birth. None of that. He was born in a cave on the hillside of Bethlehem because there was no place to stay in downtown Bethlehem. And he lived his life, a simple life. He didn't live like a king. He didn't live in royalty. But he lived among people. He lived a simple but perfect life. And at the end of a story, it got worse. This isn't a pretty box. At the end of a story, it was a bloody cross. Right? That's a bad story right there. The bloody cross. But we open the box. But what's broken, Jesus came to give new hope. What was shattered, he came to make us whole. The hope, it has a name. And his name is Jesus. But for some of you this morning, you've opened up a box that's not what you wanted. You've got brokenness, heartaches, ruined lives. This is not the way you thought it would be. But I pray that this Christmas season, that you will look deeper in the box, that you don't give up, but that you look deeper in the box to see that we have the beautiful Savior, Jesus Christ. Ruth, Naomi, they experienced this grace through a man named Boaz. We have the same grace through a man named Jesus. Hope has a name. His name is Jesus. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for this wonderful gift that we have. The hope of the Savior. The hope of the one who came in a lowly birth, who offers us redemption. Not a story about loss, but the story of hope. We thank you for the kinsman redeemer that we see in Boaz, that he offered to, to Ruth. He didn't have to, he had no legal obligation, but God, he did. 
Just like you sent your son, Jesus. You had no legal obligation to die on the cross for us. You had no legal reason to do so, except it was grace. You love us, and you offer us hope. I pray, God, that this Christmas season that we look into our box, it may not be what we wanted, but it may be just what we need. God, I pray that we look deeper and deeper in the box of what is broken, disappointment, confusion. God, I pray that you will give us hope, peace, joy, love. I pray that we will look deeper into you. Hope has a name, and it's your name. I pray that we reach out to you as our guardian redeemer, because you're love like no one else will love. You're care like no one else will care. You're redeemed like no one else will redeem. I pray that today, that maybe perhaps there's someone here that needs to cry out to God, say, God, I will give my life to you. You are my hope. You are my everything. In your name I pray. Amen.